Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Before getting into today's episode, I wanted to share the exciting news that the podcast now has a website, runfitraj.com. That's R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. The website will contain all the podcasts. It will contain all the show notes or the details of each podcast. It also has a search function so that you can search specific topics that are of interest to you. So do go and check out runfitraj.com and send me any suggestions or feedback. Much appreciate that. Secondly, our guest today is Andy Blow from the UK, who is the founder and the CEO of a company called Precision Hydration. For our listeners, Andy has offered us two things. One is a free one-on-one video chat with his team for your question related to nutrition and hydration. I, I highly urge you to make use of this opportunity. It is available till 30th September and the link to book an appointment, I will put it in the show notes or if you want it to be emailed to you directly, please send an email to me at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. Second, Andy has offered a discount of 15% for your order. Again, valid till 30th September. Please use the code all in capital Raj Running. I repeat, all in caps Raj Running. That's R A J R U N I N G for a 15% discount to any Precision Hydration products, which you can buy from PrecisionHydration.com. In uh, today's episode, we are speaking to Mr. Andy Blow from UK. And he's an accomplished athlete himself, and he's a sports scientist as well as founder of Precision Hydration. He's world-renowned for his uh, deep knowledge base on all things hydration, electrolyte-related, sweating, cramps. Uh, So welcome to the show, Andy. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I also want to tell listeners that I have personally benefited a lot from using his products as well as uh, listening to him, reading his blogs. So thank you for all that you does for the athletic community, Andy, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Raj. It's great. It's great to hear we've had some personal impact with you as well. I'd like to hear yes, about that, actually. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, I came uh, across your work first with that triathlon show. In fact, I had Michael as a guest uh, a few yeah. weeks uh, back, and then I started following up and, uh, you know, the the concepts that you lay out there about talking, thinking about hydration, electrolyte and carbohydrate strategy as three different elements, etc. really resonated with me. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's it's been very, very helpful. Good. So uh, uh, can we start a bit with uh, your background, uh, Andy, and how did you get curious about uh, this science and then obviously went ahead and founded uh, Precision Hydration. So listeners would love to hear a bit from you directly on this. Yeah, like like you said, Raj, I was a, a bit of an athlete myself, not um, not an especially you know accomplished professional athlete, but I was a sort of a lower, I was I was a good amateur or a bad professional athlete basically, and um, took it very seriously for a number of years doing triathlon, and I found through through, through personal experience that competing in the heat especially in the heat and humidity was a nightmare for me um, I always knew I had a very high sweat rate and I had an inclination that that had something to do with the problems that I was experiencing but it was it was really all about in in the early days for me unpicking my personal issues with racing in the heat as you as you, you mentioned in the introduction you know cramp was a has been a big part of my athletic career I, I cramped up in lots and lots of long hot races so it all started out as a personal investigation to try and figure out what was going on with me. And then gradually it, I started to relate it to other athletes because I started coaching and working as a sports scientist and then eventually sort of wound up creating a company around it. Uh, Andy, uh, you talk a lot about uh, electrolytes, in particular about sodium. So yeah. let's start with that. Why is uh, sodium so important? And does that also imply in turn that other electrolytes uh, that you would require uh, for bodily function like magnesium, potassium, etc., they are not as important uh, during exercise or races? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, all electrolytes as a, as a group of elements for the body are all, all perform critical functions. A lot of them are to do with cellular communication, fluid balance, 
um, nerve impulse transmission, cognitive function. There's a host of things that electrolytes are involved with. But we, we focus really heavily on sodium when we talk about athletes and exercise and sweat and fluid balance because, because um, sodium, is the, sodium is the principal electrolyte that we lose in sweat. So we lose we lose tiny amounts of magnesium and potassium and, and calcium and stuff. There, potassium, for example, is the biggest um, is the most abundant intracellular electrolyte. But because we lose sweat from extracellular fluid, we tend to lose the most amount of sodium. So that's the one we we have to focus on replacing. It doesn't. It I, I want to stress it doesn't mean the others aren't important. But I think acutely during exercise it's sodium and fluid replacement that tends to be most athletes' biggest challenge. So sodium has basically an overwhelming impact on uh, heart training and uh, racing and uh, compared to the other uh, uh, electrolytes. Okay, got that point. And I know that uh, you talk about uh, a sweat, uh, sweat test to determine yeah. what sort of sodium, um, sodium requirements people have or be, be, they become aware of. Can you just take us through uh, how a, an ordinary everyday athlete can take that sweat test? Yes, certainly. So going back to my own sort of investigations into this, when I started reading around the subject of sweat, it became apparent that there was there were two elements to sweat. There's how much you sweat, so the total volume, and then there's what's in that sweat. And it was a, a friend of mine who's a doctor who put me onto the the idea of looking at sweat composition and, and making me aware that the sodium concentration in different people's sweat can vary dramatically. So there is in the population around a tenfold variance in the amount of salt that you lose in your sweat. So some people lose tiny, tiny amounts, around 200 milligrams of sodium in every liter. I'm on, on the other hand, I'm up at nearly 1800 milligrams a liter. And we see some people okay. who are losing over 2000. So a sweat test is effectively a, a, a test usually or usually when you talk about a sweat test you talk about a test to um, measure the composition of sodium in sweat so the concentration and we we offer that test in various centers around the world but for people who can't visit somewhere to actually have a sweat sample taken and analyzed we do have an online test which is obviously doesn't involve any physical samples being taken it's a questionnaire based test but based on a lot of experience and data that we've built up over the years, we've, we've produced an algorithm that works with the answers to a questionnaire that tries to determine whether you're more or less likely to be a low, a medium, a high or a very high um, sweater when it comes to the amount of sodium that you lose. And so so that's that's often a good place for people to start to sort of get a feel for this if they if they haven't got the opportunity to take an actual physical sweat test where they are. Sure. I will put a link to in the show notes uh, to where they can come and actually take it on your uh, on your company website. Great, yeah, that'd be a, that's a good place to begin. So uh, the follow-up question is: While you did mention that there is a tenfold variance between one extreme to the other, uh, based on the data that you have collected or, or and analyzed, where where does the majority uh, cluster around? What sort of uh, sodium levels are we talking about? Usually, if we take a large enough group of people, the average sweat sodium concentration comes out between 900 and 1,000 milligrams per litre. So if you're familiar with the idea of a normal distribution curve, a bell-shaped curve, yeah. then we would have a lot of people who are probably somewhere between 800 and 1,100 milligrams of sodium per litre of sweat, let's say, in the middle. And then the further you go to, out towards the edges, you know, I'm in the top sort of five or eight percent of people who are losing that really high amount and if we get down to three three hundred milligrams the other way there's only a very small percentage of people there so basically it tends to cluster around the middle but there's it's and it tends to be the people who are on the higher higher side of normal um or at the extremes who who have the most benefit from understanding this this knowledge and therefore changing the way that they replace electrolytes um the the ultimate the ultimate sort of bad combination to have as an athlete if you like is an extremely high sweat rate and an extremely high sodium concentration because that leaves you kind of the most vulnerable to fluid balance electrolyte disturbances when you're doing stuff in the heat it isn't there's an interesting parallel there with a whole community of people that suffer with a disease called cystic fibrosis because people with cf 
lose really, really high amounts of sodium in their sweat. Some of them lose in the excess of 3000 milligrams of sodium in every liter of sweat. And, and interestingly, talk, I talk a lot to cystic fibrosis doctors and people who work in that area. And they, they often say that adults, because most people with CF are identified now as, as kids or babies even with genetic testing. But sometimes people get identified later in life and quite often they get identified because they present to hospitals with severe cases of hyponatremia and dehydration and cramping and problems in the summer because they've been out working in their garden or they've been doing a manual job and they've sweated profusely and lost so much fluid and salt that their body starts to shut down. So, and, and in, you know, interestingly for me, although I've not got CF, my high sweat rate and high sodium loss kind of puts me in a similar category to the amount of fluid and salt some of these people would lose. And I experience some of the same sort of symptoms they do when I do a, an Ironman in the heat if I don't get my electrolyte replacement right. Okay. Uh, so before we get to, uh, you know, picking, uh, picking your thoughts on specific steps athletes should take to replenish that sodium, uh, I want to ask you about hyper, hypernatremia. I, I didn't yeah. pronounce it correctly. Uh, what exactly is that uh, and why should uh, athletes be aware of this? So hypernatremia literally means having low sodium levels in your blood. And every, every day when you're walking around in a normal healthy state, sodium levels in the blood are pretty tightly regulated. So the normal range for, for any human in good health is between 135 and 145 millimoles of sodium per liter of sweat. So that's kind of the standard. And homeostasis in the body, homeostatic mechanisms in the body aim to keep it that way. Now, if that, if that drops below 135 millimoles per liter, you're deemed to be becoming hypernatremic. And, and that's sort of can happen in lots of different ways. Sometimes it happens to people on certain types of medication who pee out or flush out a lot of sodium from their bodies. Sometimes it can happen with sickness and diarrhea and that kind of thing. Um, more often with athletes, it happens when they overconsume water or overconsume any drinks which are quite low in sodium and actually cause a dilutional effect of the blood. So you, rather than just simply losing sodium, you over dilute yourself. And there's been a lot in the past written about the fact that in the last 20 or 30 years, athletes have been encouraged to drink a lot more. Dehydration has been seen as a really a bit of a bogeyman in, in sports science, something to, for athletes to be aware of and overcome. And it's almost led to this this kind of overemphasis of dehydration being a problem and it's allowed hyponatremia to sneak in because we get people in marathons especially in hot weather who get paranoid about losing lots of sweat and they drink and drink and drink and they overdrink and dilute their blood and it can be really serious because if you can't pee out that excess fluid fast enough it starts to accumulate in the body ultimately it can start to be pushed from the bloodstream into the body's cells and into the brain cells and cause the brain to swell up and then we get a whole cascade of problems. And every year, sadly, you know, a small handful of people die from hyponatremia doing endurance events. And, and a lot more, I think, have their performances um, derailed, whether they know it or not, because they, they kind of overconsume fluid and underconsume electrolytes. Because the interesting thing about in the, in the athletic situation is we've got that kind of double whammy effect of you're losing fluid and salt but you're also if you can also be over drinking so it's often a balance between um between putting back enough electrolytes but not putting too much fluid back in so one of the things we sometimes find ourselves doing with athletes who are having problems in the heat is not is, is counterintuitively not getting them to drink more we might in some cases be encouraging them to drink the same or a little bit less but maybe encouraging them to consume a little bit more sodium in or with those fluids in order to better balance out what they're losing. So so this is a condition which is caused by you as an athlete unwittingly diluting uh, uh, the sodium content in your body. Yeah. And, and this I completely agree because, you know, a lot of us uh, uh, live in, uh, in, a, in places which is hot and humid through the year, uh, year and there is a lot of emphasis on consuming a lot of water. 
but you yeah. hear much less about uh, uh, and sp- much less and much less specifically about sodium replacement so this is a very a very good point thank you for that uh, so leading from here so how do then athletes um, replenish the sodium uh, sodium or electrolyte loss what would be your advice what are the steps that they should be taking i think first of all it the one of the most important things is to just start to estimate or measure the approximate magnitude of what your losses are and and i would say it is a sweeping statement but i think it's probably fair to say that anyone who's routinely doing exercise which is less than an hour or less than 90 minutes probably doesn't need to worry too much about replacement during exercise you know i think you can certainly can drink during i sometimes will drink on a long 90 minute run in the summer if it's hot enough but i don't see it as as being like critical to to performance in that session it's when you start to go to go longer so i think first of all deciding whether you're likely to be someone who's going to benefit from that we're looking at identifying what that magnitude of loss is we we haven't we have a a blog on our website which we can share the link um, with you for about measuring your sweat rate and so as opposed to measuring your sweat sodium composition which takes specialist equipment measuring your sweat rate is really easy you can do it at home you can go for it you can weigh yourself before you go for a run you can weigh yourself when you come back and you can estimate the sweat loss based on that because one kilo of weight loss equates to approximately one water one liter of water or sweat loss so kind of working out what you what you lose in terms of volume estimating whether that's likely to be a, then a low medium high or very high so- sodium concentration you can then start to play around with different levels of electrolyte replacement be that in in drinks or in the form of salt tablets or capsules or something with drinks or even just in some cases eating foods and snacks which are salted in order to put a little bit back even with one one thing i would say to people is that even with measurement even when we do a sweat test with people we expect there to be a reasonable amount of trial and error off the back of that test in order to then really refine the strategy for what they need because in the human body and in an exercising situation there's so many variables at play that any t- two given days are never the same you know i ran yesterday in the uk and the temperature was about 15 degrees and the humidity was really low and it felt really nice and i ran this morning and it was 19 degrees and the humidity was really high and i probably sweated 50 percent more than i did the day before doing the same kind of run and when you magnify that out over longer sessions and longer periods of time you you start to you start to realize that kind of having one set plan for how much fluid how much sodium you're going to replace is is not is not all that helpful what it, what you're better off doing is building up a database of experience and starting to play around with different levels and i know that's potentially a bit of a vague answer but it's it's mainly because it's such an individual factor it's getting those it's about c- constraining the parameters for you like as a someone who sweats a lot and loses a lot of salt my replacement strategies tend to be more on the aggressive side because because of that rate of loss and i kind of have a feel factor now for how much i need to replace by listening to my body you you often talk to athletes about you know uh, symptoms how they feel and how to identify if they're not drinking enough or not or not um taking enough salts one thing i always used to notice was when i did lots of big hard training sessions in the summer if i didn't drink and take enough salt in the next day i could wake up feeling a bit like i had a hangover which is a, a kind of a one sign of it. So it's it's all that it's all about understanding the rough magnitude of losses, and then based on that, playing around with different levels of replenishment. And the outcome that you're looking for is obviously maintaining performance, feeling good, and recovering well, when at other times maybe you haven't been. I think that what you explained can be you know implemented in a pretty straightforward way, which is first you determine what your sweat rate is. That's a simple. weighing thing which you have to do pre and post uh, run then one comes to your website and uh, does the, you know, so the that particular quiz you have on the to determine the sodium loss and then appropriately play around or fine tune it based on the conditions you are uh, running in it exactly. you know, it's, it's actually uh, like a two step forward by, by sorry two step process 
followed by uh, a, a plan which you need to play play around now one question i have is of course sodium can be replenished by you know by products let's say from precision hydration or other companies the uh, you know table salt or common salt is available in every home uh, how would you look at using table salt uh, which which of course is not 100% sodium it's obviously a combination of sodium and chlorine uh, and I think it contains approximately 40% sodium in uh, in, uh, in uh, table salt. Is that a, a viable option for uh, athletes to use for sodium replacement? I think I think it is a lot of the time because sodium sodium chloride is also what we sweat out, so NaCl. And you're you're exactly right. It is just about 40% sodium and 60% chloride. Um, the body's really, really sensitive to salt balance and sodium balance. So when you when you start to crave salt or when salt tastes fantastically good, it's often a sign that your body needs a little bit more. And so I think athletes who are training hard and in heavy training can definitely salt their food in between training sessions or before and after training sessions to taste. And if they feel like they sort of want more salt, they should probably listen to their bodies. I know that that's not that that probably runs counter to a lot of the common health advice that people hear but that advice is often not geared at people who are doing hours and hours of sweating over each week you know the the, the average person probably does over consume sodium based on what they use and they probably end up weighing a lot of it out athletes can sometimes be in sodium deficit if they're if they're doing a lot of sweating so adding salt to your food based on how good it tastes to you can be a really good indication of doing it. The, um, you, you can theoretically as well add salt to your own drinks, you know, to to increase the sodium levels in there. The, the, the difficulty with that approach is just how they tend to taste because when you put salt on food and then eat, you can eat quite a lot of salty food and wash it down with water and the stomach seems to take that quite well and it, it tastes appropriate. If you start dumping lots of salt into water and drinking it, it, it tastes pretty nasty and it, tend, it can be quite irritating on the stomach. It can give people sickness and diarrhea and things, especially when you get up to the higher levels that you would need to make a really effective rehydration drink. Hence why a lot of sports drinks like the ones that we make tend to use sodium carbonate, sodium citrate and other forms of sodium that aren't quite so overtly salty tasting. So, okay. But I, I do think there's a, there's a paper which I'll, which I'll share with you, which you can um, probably link to for your listeners as well, which is called The Importance of Salt in the Athlete's Diet. And it's by a doctor in the US. It's a quite a good balanced article just pointing out that although the – the day-to-day recommendations for health with sodium intake are like pretty low. There's quite a strong case for a lot of athletes to 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 work outside of those recommendations based on individual needs. So that's probably a good good resource to listen to to have a read of to get more yeah, in depth. Sure. Uh, I will I'll include it. Uh, I will include it uh, in the show notes. Now uh, I know that another thing that you advocate is thinking about your hydration, electrolyte needs, and your carbohydrate needs. Uh, yes. During a long session, separately. That is, that is, if you take, for example, salt capsules, you drink adequate amount of uh, water, and you take adequate amount of, let's say, gels or real food like bananas, dates, whatever. That's a, a more correct way of approaching. Why do you say that? Uh, and uh, what what are some of the steps as in you know athletes start to adapt to this? They need to watch out for. I really like the idea of separating those three things, fluids, salts, and calories, because on any given day, depending on the duration of the activity, the state of the body, when we go into it, the environment, we're going to need different amounts of those things. So typically, the, the, the extreme examples are on a very, very hot day, your requirement for fluids and salts could be quite high, but your, your requirement for calories will be based almost exclusively on the duration and the pace that you're going at. So that won't tend to change if those variables don't. You could go out and do exactly the same session at the same pace, the same intensity, the same duration on a really, really cold day, and your requirement for fluid and salt could be absolutely negligible. And if you if you then if in those scenarios you've tried to put everything you need in a single bottle, you know, like an isotonic sports drink or a, a fuel a carbohydrate-based sports drink, 
on the hot day, you run the risk of overwhelming your gut with far too many calories, far too much stuff and be, becoming sick because you're over-consuming because you're trying to get the fluids and salts in. On a cold day, you run the risk of doing the exact opposite and under-consuming. And for that reason, I really like athletes to sort of try to separate them as much as possible so that they can then tweak each one of those levers, as we call them, um, independently. So knowing how many grams of carbohydrate or how many calories you roughly require per hour based on the duration and intensity is something you can figure out either with you know, some work in a lab or more, more realistically for most athletes by going out and trying levels of replenishment in the real world. It's the same with the, you know, obviously the fluids and the salts, and then just just move them up and down, on a based on the temperature. And once you once you start thinking about it in those simplistic terms, you're able to then make adjustments on the go. You're able to analyze how your nutrition and hydration intake has gone after a race and really critique it. And that's how you then iterate your way as an individual to a better performance in the future. Uh, okay, I I got it. So basically, you are using uh, so something like a, a statistical approach in a way because uh, you know when you are trying to find out uh, things about single factors affecting some outcome. Here, the, yes. there are three factors. You are saying if you start implementing it independently and thinking about it independently, you would be over a period of time able to ascertain and fine tune each of those elements. But if you put everything together, then you really don't know which of those three elements is actually causing some, maybe a stumbling block to your performance. Okay, I understood that. Now, you talk also about uh, the three types of drinks, uh, hypertonic, hypotonic, and isotonic. Uh, yeah. Can you just share with us what that means and also why athletes should be aware of it? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question because um, a lot of products in the sports nutrition world get lumped into this category of sports drinks. And actually, when we break it down, there's sort of different types for different circumstances if we start with the strongest ones first drinks that are hypertonic so that's h-y-p-e-r hypertonic means that they are thicker if you like than your blood in terms of the, the the composition of them so hypertonic drinks tend to be quite heavy in calories they tend to be quite heavy in carbohydrates sometimes proteins and things if you think about recovery drinks if you think about soda type drinks like coca-cola which athletes will sometimes reach for in ultra distance events to give them energy anything which is like seriously sugary syrupy or full of calories tends to be hypertonic and what hypertonic drinks are really good for is the delivery of lots of calories or lots of um, energy quite quickly so you'll have if anyone's watched you know professional cycling or whatever they'll have seen in the Tour de France, end of a long mountain stage, sometimes you'll see one of the riders, you know, getting a taking a can of Coke from a, a spectator and downing it because he can feel that his blood sugar levels are dropping. It's probably more likely he's drinking that because his his energy is dropping rather than his fluid, you know, rather than he's feeling dehydrated. So hypertonic drinks tend to be excellent for the rapid delivery of lots of calories, but quite relatively poor for hydration so uh, typically it will be very good for uh, say let's as a recovery drink because yeah, you need recovery. to replenish your carbs uh, as as soon as possible so okay so that's yeah. that's hypertonic so that's yeah. hypertonic isotonic tend to be so isotonic means the same as so the same concentration as your blood and when sports drinks were first invented and popularized so things like gatorade and mm -hmm. lucasaid and all of the aid products that you hear about they usually are a similar honesty to blood so they're absorbed reasonably quickly this makes them usually around about six percent carbohydrate whereas a hypertonic drink might be more like 10 or 11 percent carbohydrate they have a little bit of electrolytes in there and they obviously have fluids in them and the idea is is that they're a one-stop shop they're the they're the jack of all trades of sports drinks so they replace a little bit of energy they replace a little bit of fluid a little bit of salts and they tend to be pretty good for short to medium duration activities when you need just a little top up of those things. And and so, for instance, you would find them being used by soccer players in a 90 minute match. They might have them when they have a fluid break or something because they're digestible, they're quick in the system. Athletes often make a big mistake of using these, though, in my experience, for longer and harder endurance events when 
when that when we actually need to be moving more towards that kind of three independent levers approach we we're just talking about where you it, it might not be that that ratio of fluid to carb to sodium is exactly what you need and what tends to happen if you drink lots and lots of those drinks over hours and hours you get quite sick in your stomach you know and the, the stomach gets clogged up with all the sugars and you feel quite bloated and nasty so that's where the, the other type of drinks come in which is hypotonic so hypotonic drinks are a lot lighter and thinner than your blood so they either have no calories in them or they have a very few calories so we make a product which has it is about a 2.9% carbohydrate solution and it contains you know a high level of sodium and those a hypotonic fluid tends to move from the stomach into the gut and into the bloodstream the fastest of all so they tend to be absorbed most quickly so hypotonic drinks are definitely the ultimate composition when hydration and replacement of sweat losses is important so when whenever it's hot whenever events get longer i think we see we want to see a move towards hypotonic drinks along with solid calories or gels or energy bars or whatever your your preferred source of foods is because then we manage energy levels we manage fluid levels separately and, and get the best outcome and where athletes get problems is if you lump all of those things together obviously if you use a hypertonic drink when a when a hypotonic one is most appropriate, you're probably going to get stomach problems. At the same token, though, if you use a, a hypotonic one when you're looking for energy, then you've got it the wrong way around. So just having an appreciation for what the, the composition of those drinks is is really important to get the most out of them. Okay. Thank you. Uh, another area of your expertise is around cramping. So what can you tell us about cramping? And I know that people uh, are aware that... Uh, there is probably no one size fits all kind of a solution to cramping uh, yeah. but what have what can you share with us what causes it and what are at least some of the steps uh, an athlete uh, can take to minimize the chances of getting cramps yeah so so cramping is very very controversial in the field of sports science because over the years lots of different theories have been postulated as to what causes cramp and we've we've hit one of those problems where every now and then a new theory comes around and and it becomes popular and all the other theories get chucked out completely and yet we still don't have a complete understanding of it so the, the bottom line with cramping is that no one really understands the causes of it at the moment it used to be thought the original theory around cramping was that it was caused by either a fluid deficit or a chloride or sodium deficit because it was often associated with high levels of sweat loss so for many many years it was believed that cramping was a result of dehydration basically and or electrolyte imbalance um and you know, a lot of places where that was observed was coal mines and um, anywhere foundries places where people were working in the heat and were collapsing with cramps you know when when they're at the end of a long shift and they'd, they'd been sweating out a lot and they found that so the remedy for that was rather than giving people water to drink at work they would give them salted water or water with things that were salty like salt tablets and whatever and a lot of the reports suggested that this was extremely successful in not if not curing cramping then keeping it at bay so that's where a lot of the original theories came from and although there's never been a really good mechanism nailed down for why that that situation might lead to cramping the anecdotal evidence around that working is very very powerful we see lots and lots of stories to this day of where people get their electrolyte balance wrong they cramp they they sort it out with adequate sodium and fluid replacement and their cramps go away despite all of that though because there's a lack of sort of lab-based evidence that that's been challenged pretty pretty heavily in the last few years by people saying look cramping must have another mechanism and i agree with that in one sense in that we sometimes see people getting cramps at times when their fluid and electrolyte balance is clearly not impeded we sometimes see people getting cramps right at the start of races or or just at, at any kind of odd time when you know they're not they're clearly not having um, they've not experienced high levels of fluid and electrolyte loss so there was this theory proposed that maybe it's got to do with fatigue and muscle function and there's a neuromuscular theory around what causes cramp and there's there has been some lab-based evidence come out to support that in certain circumstances but the proponents the really sort of um the really vigorous proponents of that theory have tended to say this 
then proves that the electrolyte dehydration imbalance theory is is no longer valid. And my issue with that is that what they choose to sort of willfully ignore is the fact that in the real world, with lots and lots of athletes having great success with sorting out electrolyte and fluid balance and getting rid of cramps, that they just ignore that. Now that just gets that just gets pushed to one side. So I would I would say that you know cramping needs to be looked at from a from an individual perspective if you are getting cramps which tend to occur two or three or four hours into or after occasions when you're doing lots of sweating you're doing lots of heavy activity then looking at your sodium and fluid intake in relation to your sodium and fluid loss is a great place to start investigating because because of the previous high success rate we've seen with people getting that right if however you try and try and try with that and you you really you know experiment and find that electrolyte replacement and fluid replacement is not going to help is not helping you then we have to start looking elsewhere and that's where it can become tricky i mean some people have suggested probably quite rightly that um, cramping tends to have to happen with athletes in in races and events more than it does in training because we're pushing the body harder and if we one thing we have to be sure about is that we're well conditioned enough for what we're doing so that we're resisting fatigue we're not overstressing the muscles in a way they're not used to I've always found as a, as a sort of chronic cramper getting on top of sodium and fluid balance was the biggest thing that helped me but so just as almost just as important was getting a regular sports massage on the affected muscles where I used to get cramp because cramp itself causes muscular damage it causes little tears and stiffness which if you don't work those out the muscles become hard and inflexible and damaged and I think then that leads into a vicious cycle of making them more likely to cramp in the future. So that kind of approach is also is also helpful. When someone does get a cramp, we also do know that the, be- the best thing that you can do is slow down your pace. And if you can, stretch the affected muscles to, to loosen them off because that stretching of the muscles sets off a reaction that kind of releases the cramp. And most people will know that when you see a soccer player lying down on the pitch they've got calf cramps the first thing their teammates will do is go and stretch their foot back the way to stretch the calf and really relieve those cramps so acutely stretching those muscles to to relieve it's a really good idea but then in the bigger picture looking at what causes it i would always look at fluid balance and electrolyte balance sometimes you can get cases where people think well it it can't be that because I'm a soccer player. I'm only going for for 90 minutes. It's unlikely I'm going to lose enough fluid. But we've seen cases in in professional soccer players where they've overconsumed water and fluids. And we go back to that hyponatremia thing that we started with a little while ago. And they they dilute their body's sodium levels because they're trying to prehydrate, and then they end up with cramps as a result of a fluid and electrolyte imbalance that isn't caused solely by sweating, but it's caused by weeing out so much sodium and fluid so it always needs that that you know thirty thousand foot view of looking at the whole situation to start to determine what the the best way of solving it might be in in fact uh, the soccer player analogy leads me to my next uh, question which is what what should be the electrolyte uh, loading strategy uh, pre uh, pre races or pre uh, hard uh, training session how do uh, what do you advocate Um, the main thing i advocate with getting to the start of a race well hydrated is is to drink fairly normally you know follow your normal habits maybe increase your water consumption a small amount a few days out from an event but a small amount means one or two extra glasses of water here and there it doesn't mean just suddenly chugging pints and pints or liters and liters of, of, of extra water that's typically something that we see athletes do and it can often lead to them starting races mildly hyponatremic what's far better to do because your body can't hold on to tons of extra salt and fluid for very long it's better to have a very very strong electrolyte drink we make one called ph 1500 which which as the name suggests has 1500 milligrams of sodium per liter and we would say have about half a liter of that an hour or so before you start and then what that does the extra salts pull the um, pull the fluids into your bloodstream keep them there you're less likely then to weed that out and you start better a bit better hydrated i would also say to most athletes in the last couple of days before a big event if it's a long really long and hot race putting a bit of extra salt on your food is is not a bad strategy just to make sure you're you're not running a deficit 
day to day. That's if if so, you but, if you end up. So sorry, one question I had in this is that uh, if you uh, during the activity now once once a pre race, uh, assuming that you have done the right thing. uh what is your view on drinking to thirst then during the uh, during a uh, hard training session or a race i think during most shorter shorter efforts shorter sessions anything in cool conditions that's absolutely fine it's a good idea in fact to tune into your body and listen to the dictates of thirst and so for a lot of runners because i'm talking about shorter sessions probably being anything up to about 90 minutes a lot of the time then just drinking to thirst is is completely adequate and is probably the best approach because that way you give your body what it feels like it needs and you haven't got time to run up a huge deficit i think where that changes is that when you go into much longer and hotter events so marathon distance typically for runners and beyond and and anything in in really hot conditions having a bit of a plan for how much fluid you're going to need to replace early on and and salts is really important to maintain your performance later on in the event because it's very easy if you drink to thirst early on you tend to go into a fairly or most people seem to tend to go into a quite a big deficit which then you can have a hard time you know kind of recovering from later I think the only other time it's important to have a bit of a plan is if you're training very hard if you're doing two training sessions a day sometimes you might not feel like if you're doing a, an hours run in the morning you might not feel like you need to drink particularly a lot during that session um but it might be advisable to drink a little bit more than you feel you need to if you want to recover quickly because you've got a hard session later on that day so in depending on the context you might want to pre-plan a bit more but that whole drink to thirst argument is not is is one where i definitely am not coming down on the side of it being wrong but i just don't think it's the be all and end all i think it's been promoted wrongly in some circumstances is like this is literally all athletes need to do and i think although for a lot of people for who are doing shorter stuff it's totally adequate it's just not going to cut it when you when you're doing something longer and harder a more more hard and more deliberate planning is required that's for yeah. longer, longer longer training sessions or races yeah. okay got it so what are some of the new areas that your precision hydration is working on and what what you are obviously feeling free to share and uh, and then outside of your own universe what are some of the developments which you are excited uh, about yeah the the big one for us really is keeping our eye on wearable technology because at the moment when we do a sweat test or when we get information about athlete sweat rates it tends to be sporadic and it tends to be um on based on other lab based data or one off stat time stamp points you know where, where we we get snapshots of data i i'm really hopeful that we're not a million miles away from there being sensors that will be able to measure sweat rate that will be able to measure sweat electrolyte losses in real time and then we can overlay those with other performance related factors so we can start to see at what at what point we can really then start to calculate net fluid and, and salt losses over a period of time look at what effect that has on heart rate on on pace and speed on output on performance and well-being recovery so that's that's the area where i i hope i i think we'll see more developments in hydration and and nutrition i don't think those developments are necessary you know i don't see a lot of companies are always spouting on about the next big thing when it comes to a, a certain product you know a kind of um, a different type we've got a, a big one going on at the moment with these hydrogels and carbohydrate consumption and stuff and that's that's been promoted as some kind of like revolution in the intake of carbohydrates but but slowly the data's coming out and experiences are coming out and saying whilst this method is clearly no worse than anything else we've done before it doesn't appear to be sort of like measurably better and i don't necessarily see there being something measurably better coming along in the composition of sports nutrition products i think that what we need when we're exercising going back to the three levers thing is water salt and, and carbohydrates and so we've got lots of inventive ways to put those back in i think that the 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 next exciting development is really really being able to individualize what the levels of intake are for people before during after activity and that's where the magic that's where the magic ingredient is it's because when we get that right more people will be able to optimize their performance okay uh so uh 
I have a fun segment in the podcast where I ask uh, guests uh, questions. Uh, it's a quiz segment, five questions. Uh, so yeah. before we let you go, I think we should probably uh, jump into that. Let's go for it. I, I'm I'm worried about my general knowledge now, Raj. <laughs> no, no, this uh, you know, many questions. Uh, it's all related to what uh, we have been talking about, uh, at least related to sports for sure. So uh, yeah. Before we start the quiz, I want to let listeners know that all the resources being discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those uh, links for further information. Please check out the podcast website runfitraj.com. That is R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. It has all the podcasts, it has all the show notes and there is a very useful search function as well. I also request all of you who are listening to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. Now to the quiz. Here we go. The first one is uh, on London Marathon and uh, on a very famous British footballer who has represented uh, Britain nearly a hundred times and has played for clubs like Real Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester United, uh, had run a sub for London Marathon. Uh, do you know who we are talking about? That one... Um... So if he's run, he's run a quick marathon, and he played. Who do you say he played for? He played for Manchester United, Liverpool, Real Madrid. Apart from being a highly capped international um, footballer for England, uh, is it Owen? Yeah, it is. It's Michael Owen. He ran, I think, in two thousand fourteen London, uh, London, London Olympics, and raised a lot of money for three, four charities he supports. Uh, yeah. The next question is from the food world. Uh, Alba, Joan, Florence are all varieties of which fruit? Alba, I mean, Joan, berries of some sort. Yeah, it's uh, it's, stra- it's strawberry, actually. Berries. Then there is a gentleman, next question, uh, there, there is a gentleman called Al Gerard who is credited with inventing a very popular uh, uh, very popular gym equipment. Uh, what? Which gym equipment are we talking about? Gym equipment. Um Al Gerard, I know, recognize the name. So is it? Uh, it's a. It's a. It's a. It's one of the bar. Is it a trap bar? Something like that. Yeah, etc. Yeah, trap bar. Hexa bar, basically. Then the next one is uh, from a, a writing. A very famous British athlete has written his autobiography, and it's called Twin Ambitions. Uh, who are we talking about? Twin Ambitions. That was. Um, Mo Farah, I believe. Yeah. Because he yeah, had twins, Farrah, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And we use, uh, this is a medicinal plant we are talking about. We use both its gel as well as its latex for various medicinal purposes. Which plant do you know? So use its gel and it's, and latex comes from it. Yeah, the, the latex of the plant is also used. The latex of the plant, not the product latex. Oh, the, or, not the product latex, gel. Ooh, aloe vera maybe? Oh, absolutely correct. And I, I'm just wondering whether it's it's that which is behind you or the, the plant which is behind you. Is, uh, this one here, this is actually, I have to admit, Rod, this is plastic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So, but it does look like, it does look a bit like that. From, a, from, like a, from a distance, yeah. yes, it does. Yeah, from a distance. So, yeah, yeah so we are done then. Uh, so congratulations, you got all of them. Uh, the uh, in terms of other resources that you use, like maybe a, another website or books that you like, blogs, YouTube channels. What what can be some of the other resources that you can point listeners to? I think if you want a good overview of lots of interesting information about sports science as it relates to endurance, then following a guy called Alex Hutchinson on Twitter is a really good idea. Um, Alex wrote a very good book called Alex, Alex is coming on the show in uh, 10 days time. Perfect. Well, you can tell him that he was my number one recommendation. You, 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 uh, after Matt Fitzgerald, you are the second person who's mentioning it. So Yeah, yeah. He's, um, he's a mind. I've spoken to Alex on a number of occasions, read all of his books and follow him because he speaks to me. He's got a great scientific basis for what he talks about but also a lot of common sense so he ties the two together brilliantly so i think you can do far worse than taking a lead from from him when it comes to matters of sports performance in fact his book is right here in front of me yeah it's a great it's a great book yeah i've made it mandatory mandatory reading for everyone at precision hydration 
the anything else comes to your mind any other blogs or podcasts or youtube channels um i recently chatted in the running world i recently chatted to jason coop who does the coopcast podcast in the us and um jason we've we've exchanged a few emails had a few conversations and i do think that he's another guy who's who's got that great balance of you know scientific um so he's a scientific thinker and he is a scientist but he's also very practical and his podcast called the coopcast is really good he has some great guests on there and for okay. ultra runners specifically i think that's a really interesting resource as well okay and if uh, listeners want to get in touch with you for any follow up uh, what's the best way uh, do that the, they can come to the website at precisionhydration.com um we have whatsapp on the website so you can talk to us you can talk to our customer service team um through that you can email us on hello at precisionhydration.com we're also on all of the normal social media we're normally at precision hydration on instagram facebook on twitter we're at the sweat experts and you can tagers or, or I, 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 I will link channels. all of this uh, I will link all of this in the show notes yeah I'll do perfect I'll yeah and and if anyone at the moment what we're doing we are we, the the team here are doing lots of video calls one to one video calls with with people who have either tried precision hydration and want questions answered or who are thinking of trying it or want to understand whether it might work for them so I can send you a link which we can put in the show notes for people to book a one to one video call if that's also something they want to do if anything in this is peak their interest and they've got individual questions they can come and chat with one of us sure i uh, i will link all of this uh, in the show in the show notes so uh, thank you very much uh, andy i really really enjoyed speaking with you i i am sure listeners will get immense value thank you so much for everything you are doing around this space uh, and thank you for producing so much of good literature brief through your blogs your interviews uh, and all of that so and th- uh, yeah. once again thank you very much thanks raj I'll, i'll make sure i pass on your your thanks to the team because it's it's you know i get to do these podcasts and things but there's a big team of t- t- big team of people who do a lot of that that writing and blogging and stuff and they'll be they'll be delighted to hear that so thanks for your kind words thank you thank you very much to all the listeners please check out the podcast website runfitraj.com that is r u n f i t r a j.com it has all the podcasts it has all the show notes and there is a very useful search function as well you can reach out to me on my social media handles which are running and fitness with raj on both instagram and facebook and you can also email me on running and fitness with raj at gmail.com please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy and till the next show. Goodbye.